This season, we're launching a new episode of The Missing every week. But if you don't want to wait, all episodes are currently available completely ad-free on What's the Story Crime. Signing up is really easy. Just follow the link in our show notes. You're guaranteed to find your new favourite true crime listen. From con men to missing people, forensic investigations to miscarriages of justice, What's the Story Crime is the home for all true crime fans who want bingeable, addictive, crime-based content. In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewellery, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com and get up to 15% off your first purchase as a member with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for up to 15% off your first purchase as a member. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Regular listeners to this series will be expecting us to talk about a missing person, to reveal the circumstances of their disappearance and unpick the clues which might lead to their discovery. But in this episode, we're doing things slightly differently. This episode is about a person who has already been found. We have a body, but in this case, it's their identity that's missing. A woman found dead with nothing to tell police who she is. Somewhere, there will be loved ones wondering where she is, who long for answers. Working alongside Locate International, we'll explore the details of this extraordinary case. We'll unravel clues and follow leads to try and determine who this woman is. We'll investigate a rare painting, some distinctive clothing, and a very important ticket. Someone has the knowledge that could finally put a name to a face and 17 years after her body was found, a name on her gravestone too. Our goal is to go forward trying to get her image in front of as many people as we can in the North London area, because we do believe the answer lies in North London. I'm Pandora Sykes, and you're listening to The Missing, a podcast series brought to you with support from the charity Missing People, and investigation specialists Locate International. 
This is the series where listeners can join the search, a series which shines a light on cases you may not have heard before and asks if you can provide the key which can unlock answers. Because every one of these cases could still be solved. This is The Missing, The Wembley Point Woman. It's a Friday, October the 29th in 2004. In the shallow water of the River Brent, which flows by the Wembley Point skyscraper, is a woman. She's black, slight, around five foot two, with short hair. She's not breathing. Her injuries indicate she's fallen from a height. It is too late to provide any first aid. As is the protocol whenever a body is discovered, the police conduct an investigation to try and understand how that person died. The scene is cordoned off. Police carry out interviews, speak to any witnesses, and make steps to inform the next of kin. Only in this case, the next of kin isn't yet known. There's nothing obvious to inform the police who the dead woman is. The body is transported by private ambulance to a mortuary in nearby Harrow, where it's stored pending a further investigation. Just hours after the discovery, the scene is opened back up to the public. Passers-by have no clue of the tragedy that occurred hours earlier. Police anticipate that the woman's identity will soon be realised, or that her relatives will soon come forward. This woman was one of 1,000 bodies taken into the mortuary in 2004. But it's a case that stands out because her identity remains unknown. Police inquiries in the local area failed to identify who she was. A search of the woman's clothing and possessions didn't reveal a name either. There was no purse, no ID, no name written into the label of her clothing. Nothing. In America, the woman would have been labelled a Jane Doe. In the UK, she was simply unidentified. 17 years have passed, and the case remains unsolved. So what do we know? Can this case finally reach a resolution? The experts at Locate International hope that this episode could finally identify the person who the press dubbed the Wembley Point Woman. So there are around 1,000 unidentified bodies cases in the UK. Uh, So a great number of people who um, have remained unidentified after death. At the moment, Locate International is reviewing uh, just over 20 of these cases. And we are focusing on those 20 cases because they have each a particular lead or a particular element which we think with the passage of time, with advances in technology and so on, could be reviewed and perhaps there are lines of inquiry that our volunteers can pursue to try and obtain a name for that person. That's Emma Tilly, a senior review officer with Locate International. My role is to provide oversight uh, to the volunteers working on the unidentified bodies cases. 
Those 20 cases that Locate have identified, they're all mothers or fathers, sons or daughters. They've all left some family behind, or friends who don't know what happened to them. Emma believes they're all worthy of attention. So there are a range of other cases that we are reviewing as a team of community volunteers and university volunteers. This includes, for example, a case of a man who was found on the bank of the River Avon in Somerset in England. So this was back in 1996. It was believed that he fell from the Clifton Suspension Bridge and he was carrying a range of personal items that indicate perhaps that he was travelling across the country. But what's particularly interesting about that case is there is a photograph in his possession of himself. Another particular case is that of an unidentified man uh, found in London back in 1994. There's a possibility this man might have been homeless. In his possession were certain items, one of which is handwriting of a name, and that is what we are using to look into possible genealogy type inquiries and family trees type inquiries and so on. Another particular case that we are working on is a Lancashire-based case. So Quite recent actually this one, uh, just over five, uh, six years ago, a man's body was found on the salt marshes on the River Loon estuary near to Glasson Dock in Lancashire. This man had quite distinctive uh, features, for example, shoulder length hair, uh, clothing that was very much reflective of somebody who had a manual job in a wet environment. Because despite being found in August, this man had waterproof, thick clothing, boots that would be worn by somebody who perhaps works on a boat or at sea. So, so there's lots of lines of inquiries there. In series two of The Missing, we told the story of how Emma and her team had been hard at work to identify a body found on the Isle of Scilly, a man they now believe to be a Greek sailor called Georgios. That case began with an assessment of the facts, and it's only by checking and confirming the facts that the team can hope to make a breakthrough. Now they want to solve the mystery of the Wembley Point woman. Emma's colleague Grace has pieced together the important details. The woman is described as being five foot one to five foot three and of slight build. She was smartly dressed in a maroon bomber jacket, a thin black polo neck jumper and zip up sketches boots. She also wore a silver faced watch with a black strap, a stud earring and a silver ring with a cowrie shell design on her right ring finger. In her possession were an original oil painting measuring two feet by one foot a black carrier bag with the lettering CPNY, a Guardian newspaper, a used pack of Marlboro cigarettes and a bus pass issued at Seven Sisters Station. As descriptions go, it's flimsy, but it's a start. Pieces of jewellery, a bus pass, a packet of cigarettes indicating that the woman was a smoker. Estimates at the time suggested the woman was between 20 and 40 years old. Grace believes that the information they have will be enough to provide the answers they desperately want. But it won't be easy. 
We'll come back to those clues and pieces of evidence shortly, because there's another significant detail, the location. The woman's body was found in the shallow water of the River Brent at the base of the tower block called Wembley Point. It's a concrete block typical of the ones built in the mid-60s with plenty of glass windows. Witnesses told the police that she appeared to jump or fall from the 21st floor, the roof. But what was she doing there? Had she simply gone there in order to jump, to take her life? Had she been lured there? Was she pushed? Did she have some connection to the building? To answer some of these questions, the team at Locate began researching the building to find out exactly who or what was there in 2004. We've established that back in 2004, Wembley Point was used as a building for commercial purposes uh, with different businesses um, on different floors. And the top floor, as far as we can tell, was used as a restaurant. This is the floor that we believe a Wembley Point woman fell uh, from a window to her death. A rooftop restaurant above a tower block full of businesses. If the woman worked at the restaurant, well, other staff would have reported her missing. But could she have been employed by one of the other businesses housed in the block? Or could she have worked nearby? Emma and Grace think that it's possible. So we would also appeal to anybody who worked in that building in 2004 who could give any further information that might be helpful. The fact that she was smartly dressed, does that support the idea that the woman may be connected to one of the businesses? She was wearing work clothes. Here are those descriptions again. A maroon bomber zip-up jacket with fabric cuffs. She wore a black leather glove on her right hand, a very thin black polo neck jumper. She wore black tights, trousers, black sketches boots. That she was well-dressed made the puzzle more intriguing. Because well-dressed people are likely to have jobs, which mostly happen with colleagues and or in offices. It's noticed if they don't turn up to work. It's noticed if they don't reply to a colleague's correspondence. Reports are eventually made. But in this case, there was no report. The next clue to unpick is a work of art, not an item often found in the possessions of a body. The piece is an oil painting, measuring two feet by one foot. In the centre of the frame is a figure with, ironically, a blank white space where the face should be. The figure appears to be holding a blue, yellow and orange tribal mask. In the space over its left shoulder are more blank face figures, some lying down, others touching each other's faces. Then, over the figure's right shoulder is a woman, staring into the space where the figure's face should be, whilst a one-eyed, slightly threatening-looking face hovers above her. If it's a clue to the woman's identity, well, its message has been lost. But locate hope that the image is so distinct that someone may remember that painting and know who owned it. We're not sure whether it's something that Wembley Point Woman had produced herself or if it's something she has bought or um, been given by another artist. However, we wanted to ensure that that line of inquiry was uh, fully exhausted. To find out, 
Emma and her team had to become art specialists. They contacted the local art college and spoke to some artists. The more that you learn about it, the more that you circulate an image of the painting, the more you can learn about the techniques, the style, what they might say about the person, about the communities they belong to. Is this a type of work that people recognise? Is there any particular inspiration that's drawn from this piece, for example? In order to try um, and identify more about where this might have come from. We've put the artwork on our website, themissingpodcast.org. Take a look. Do you remember who painted it? Or perhaps you're the person who sold it? It's likely that any information about the painting could take the investigation a significant step forward. But so far, the team have drawn a blank. Our appeals regarding this piece of art uh, on the possession of Wembley Point Woman has not led to any, anyone recognising the artwork recognising the style of artwork, knowing what the meaning or inspiration for it might be. So we're in a position where we're hoping to get this image, the image of Wembley Point Woman, the image of the artwork, in front of as many people as we can within the North London area. Whilst the artwork might not immediately give Locate a clue, other items found in the woman's possession do. It's reasonable to consider that Wembley Point Woman was employed. Um, when we look at the information we have, she was quite well dressed, she had nice jewellery, and she was obviously in possession of a piece of artwork that was quite unique. She had the paper. So there's obviously indicators that say this was someone who may well have been on a journey to and from work. That's Gary, another Locate volunteer. He was drafted into the investigation in the autumn of 2021. He spent 33 years as an investigator, but it's another previous job he had, working for Transport for London, which has made him a crucial team member, because in the woman's possession was a very important clue, a ticket. There was a description of a bus pass that was issued on the 26th of October and expired on the 4th of November from memory. And it was issued at Seven Sisters Road in London in 4 at 0707 in the morning. And from my experience, customers have distinct patterns to where they buy tickets, to where they travel to and how they travel. Um, And a bus pass in particular is unusual, particularly a period bus pass because generally bus journeys are what we call hop on and hop off. People just do very short journeys. So where the bus pass was bought at Seven Sisters Road in London M4 was quite important because at that time of the morning, from my experience, it was clear that the person had a very close tie to that location. That time in the morning, they probably lived relatively close by, certainly within two miles or so. Being able to analyse the information, Gary could show that the woman was acting like a typical London commuter. The bus pass found in Wembley Point Woman's pocket was issued on October 26, 2004, three days before she fell to her death. It expired a few days later, on November 1st. The pass was issued at Seven Sisters Road Station in Tottenham, in North London, at 7.07am. It seems reasonable to think that perhaps the lady often started her journey early in the morning, around 7am, at Seven Sisters Road. So is that the important clue? I would say it's highly likely that Wembley Point woman resided 
probably within two miles of the Seven Sisters area where she purchased the ticket. And I think it's reasonable, based on the balance of probabilities, to establish that she had some connection to Wembley Point, whether that was a workplace or someone she, somewhere she frequented usually and regularly. So those two areas are certainly key areas for us to focus our attention of potentially identifying this woman. Gary also wants to find out exactly where the bus would travel, the route it took from Seven Sisters to Wembley. Passengers along that route would get on and off at different stops. Perhaps they would remember the woman. But 17 years after the incident, those bus routes and the roads of London have changed. So Gary was tasked with finding out exactly where the bus went in 2004. Thankfully, from my experience with TfL, I spent um, my first three years working on bus routes and I have access to those bus routes from around the period. So again, it gives us a good indicator. Yes, they may have changed, but that's where we need to work with TfL to find out that I still go to that route. These are routes we were considering. What other routes would be on that particular journey? So yeah, it's a, it's a work in progress. People may recognize her picture and may have seen her because the route is likely to have been one she made regularly. So we're just in the process of exploring the possibility of getting a campaign on the local bus routes in the area, going from Seven Sisters to Wembley Point. Gary is sure that someone who used that bus route, or who lived in Seven Sisters, or who worked at Wembley Point, might have the answers. Knowing those two key locations provides us with a real focus for our publicity campaigns. Um, we've already begun displaying posters in those areas. There's plans for more poster campaigns in those areas. We're working with TfL to try and get poster campaigns on the local bus routes. So the more visibility we have, focusing on those two areas and the travel, the journey between those two points gives us a greater audience to reach out, to get Wembley Point Woman's um, photograph out there and try and jog people's memory to see if they can identify her. Wembley Point Woman has remained unidentified for the better part of two decades. And while the bus routes in North London may have changed somewhat in the intervening years, the differences are not dramatic, says Gary. So were you in and around Tottenham Court Road regularly back in 2004? Did you often use public transport back then? What are your memories of that time? It might seem far-fetched or unrealistic, but an appeal with specific detail is proven to substantially increase the chances of it being seen by the relevant person, someone who could actually help. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. 
There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. The Wembley Point woman was also wearing some distinctive jewellery. She wore two rings, one white and silver metal ring on her ring finger, on her right hand, in a conch shell design, and a silver ring on her left hand's little finger. One of our volunteers, Maggie, did a little bit of research on the ring once it was known that it was a cowrie shell. And that showed that cowrie shells are significant in African culture, used as currency in the past and thought to be spiritual, representing a goddess of protection, giver of life, womanhood, fertility, birth, etc. And obviously this tallies with some of the suggested themes in the painting, which can tell you a lot about someone. And again, the kind of community organisations that they might be more likely to access. Obviously the theme of womanhood seems to be consistent, so this may be someone who would have accessed local women's community organisations. There's a lot to unpack here. And again, you can see images of the jewellery on Locate's website. Take a look. So was the Wembley Point woman an artist? Did she have links to the artistic community? Does her jewellery have links to her heritage? Or tie in with her place of birth, perhaps? Do the representations of fertility represent a desire to become a mother? Or that she already was one? Do the symbols in her jewellery mean anything to you? In cases like this one, investigators have to make their initial assumptions based on very little available information. When an unidentified person is found in North London, it would be fair to assume that that's where they're from. Unless you had any evidence that might suggest otherwise. Remember we said that Wembley Point women had been carrying a black plastic carrier bag? Well, on that bag was some clear lettering, which spelt out C-P-N-Y. After some research, the UK Missing Persons Unit report determined it was short for Central Park, New York. So is this the big clue? The smoking gun? Emma from Locate International and their team of investigators certainly think it's significant. So part of the lines of inquiry for our volunteers was to establish whether any women, missing women, uh, matching this particular description had been reported missing and were uh, missing on uh, databases based in America, based in Canada, um, just to identify whether this could have been somebody who came from uh, New York, who came from America, who for whatever reason came over to London to take their own life. Was the Wembley Point woman in fact a tourist? Does that explain why no one has come forward in response to the appeals to identify her? because our family and friends actually live in another country. It's an interesting theory, but ultimately one that Locate have veered away from. Consider the bus pass, for example, purchased on a Tuesday morning in Tottenham. 
Tottenham isn't a particularly tourist destination apart from, you know, perhaps for major sport events or theatre and arts. You would expect perhaps tourists to be more so in the Oxford circus area or something like that. Not particularly buying bus passes early in the morning on a weekday. And then there's the newspaper she was carrying. The possession of that Guardian newspaper would again feed more into the idea and possibility that Wembley Point woman worked and lived in the area of North London rather than was visiting as a tourist. Being an investigator is about not ruling anything in or anything out. Evidence might point one way, but it's important to keep an open mind. The black plastic bag, perhaps that does mean the woman came from the US, but she had to be living in the UK long enough to operate as a commuter, to buy a British paper. Or perhaps she'd visited New York on holiday just prior and brought the bag back with her. We simply don't know. The Wembley Point woman was black, and race is an undeniably important element to consider in the search for her identity. The most recent figures from the National Crime Agency show that black people make up 14% of all missing people in the UK. That's four times their relative population. Locate are actively pushing back against this statistic. They don't want the Wembley Point woman to be lost to apathy. The statistics demonstrate, um, in terms of unidentified bodies cases, it is disproportionate in terms of black and ethnic minority people who remain unidentified after death. Uh, so there is that disproportionality there, and it's obvious within the figures, and of course it is a real problem that needs to be addressed. Um, so in terms of this particular case, we are trying to engage with uh, black community groups, uh, black community organisations, black-led businesses in and around North London to try and tap into those communities, share her image and hopefully return her name. We've considered the Wembley Point woman's clothes and the items found on her person. We've considered where she might have lived, worked, the community she might have been part of. Tangible, practical things. But what about her other facts, which are harder to hold up to the light and examine? It's fair to assume that the Wembley Point woman would have been in considerable distress leading up to the moment in which she jumped or fell. There may well have been a long lead up to her final act of desperation. So might she have tapped into local mental health support services across London at any point on the lead up to her death? It's something that Locate are actively exploring. We tend to create spreadsheets of community organisations within a certain sector, for example, housing or mental health, if we believe that there's relevance to the unidentified person. And we then hold sessions where we ask volunteers to complete calls, ask these charities to circulate our flyer, as there may be someone within them or external to them who might see it, recognise the person, recognise a possession, etc. And, you know, often by contacting one community organisation, they can recommend another who might also be worth contacting and kind of keep going, snowballing, spring off local knowledge. Ultimately, like so many cases, 
The best tool Locate have at their disposal to solve the Wembley Point woman case is publicity. We've heard it mentioned several times already, whether it's targeting streets and bus routes in Tottenham with posters, making inquiries within specific community hubs that Wembley Point women may have engaged with. Awareness and relentless campaigning is paramount. So our next step really is to try and reach as many people as we can within the North London area and within the postcode and the postcodes around Seven Sisters Road um, because of course the flyering that we're doing on the ground is helpful but in a post-pandemic world where people are perhaps less likely to go out, less likely to be socialising, perhaps working from home rather than taking their commute really the power is in the digital. We need to reach more people through their screens. One way Locate will do that is by using new and pioneering technology, a mass broadcast system that targets all the smart devices in a particular area. Using this platform, a missing person's image and personal information can be transmitted to a specific postcode. And people who see it and might recognise the individual can respond on an app. In the case of Wembley Point Woman, the platform will be used specifically to get the unidentified painting in front of people in the Tottenham area who had previously searched for Afro-Caribbean art and related keywords online. It's an exciting development which harnesses the power of the people and could solve cases and save lives. Yeah, so it's something we absolutely wish to pursue. Um, so it's just a case now of identifying a um, particular event, perhaps, which brings a lot of people into the Tottenham area. For example, a football derby, perhaps, or perhaps a um, boxing fight at the Tottenham Stadium. Anything such as that, which brings lots of lots of people and an incre increase in people into the Tottenham area, would be beneficial for us to tap into really with sharing that image and images via digital means. It's easy to get lost in the mystery, to play armchair detective and piece together the clues. But we shouldn't forget the importance of the work that Locate are doing in this case. Someone somewhere in the world is wondering where their loved one is, unaware that she fell to her death in 2004. They could still be searching, desperate for news, wanting the opportunity to give their loved one a final resting place where they can mourn. It's these loved ones who drove the team on to follow every lead. Obviously, the ultimate goal is to identify an unidentified person and bring closure to their family. However, we also have much smaller goals of just adding new lines of inquiry to investigations and progressing keeping cases kind of on the go that haven't had any attention in several years. Unidentified people are a painful reminder that in a world where we're all seemingly connected, it's still possible for people to slip through the cracks. Locate launched a new appeal for information regarding Wembley Point Women's identity earlier this year. They're keen to hear from residents of North London, particularly people who'd been based near Seven Sisters Station or Wembley Point in or leading up to 2004. If you think you might know anything that could help identify the Wembley Point woman and return her name to her after 17 years, please get in touch. We've put the details of this case on our website, 
themissingpodcast.org. On there, you'll find images and details, not just for this case, but for every case we featured on the show. There's also links where you can share vital information on these cases with the experts at Locate International. And you'll find more information about the charity Missing People, who work tirelessly to support the families of the missing. Their helpline is open to offer support and advice if you've been affected by anything in this episode. We can't say this enough. It takes just one person with the right information to solve any of the cases in this series. The Missing is a What's the Story original podcast series. It's presented by me, Pandora Sykes. The episodes are produced and edited by Jack O'Kennedy. The executive producers for What's the Story Sounds are Daryl Brown and Sophie Ellis. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. This season, we're launching a new episode of The Missing every week. But if you don't want to wait, you can listen to them exclusively on What's the Story Crime. Just search for What's the Story Crime in Apple Podcasts or follow the link in our show notes to get access on whatever platform you prefer to listen on. All the information is also available on www.whatsthestorysounds.com forward slash crime.